This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm Jason Roundsville, joined today with my co-host, Dylan Ray. And we have with us special guest, Remy Warren, probably best known for his work with Solo Hunter, but has done outfitting um, a number of, of TV shows, um, outdoor personality, kind of been all through the process there. Remy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to chat with you. Absolutely. I know uh, we're excited to to get to spend some time with you here in Reno coming up. That convention is is uh in full swing we cannot cannot wait to get to nevada yeah i'm excited because you guys are pretty much uh coming to my hometown so it makes it easy for me i'm like hey I, all my friends get to come visit me now um, i'm excited about it and i'm i'm excited to finally kind of get out of like emerge from the cave here and do some stuff yeah i mean it's like you know, I don't know. It's just been, it's been a while. So it's going to be, it's kind of, I think that'll be for me the first, um, uh, kind of like conservation type event or, you know, just event, um, for a while, for over a year. So I'm excited. It'll be awesome. Yeah. We're excited. It's, we've got some of the growing pains for everybody because a lot of, a lot of, uh, companies and organizations are a little bit out of the trade show. You know, you got, you get in a groove during show season. And you kind of have your, you know, the way you do things. I think a lot of people this year, you know, January rolled around, trade show season opened up for the outdoor industry and nothing happened. And uh, so we're catching, 
catching a little people, a few people by surprise, I think. Yeah, it'll be cool. It's a, it's a good time though. And it'll be nice. The it's already hot in Reno. It's weird. It's normally not this hot. (laughs) So, um, but it'll be nice. Like, uh, it'll be fun to kind of get out and and see what you guys got. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, should be good. We've got, um, added some new stuff this year. I know, uh, the Nuggets taking very good care of us. They're letting us shoot bows inside and, and the trophy display talking to the folks in the records. I think it's going to be the biggest one that we've had in quite some time. It's, um, over 120 of the biggest animals killed with a bow. So it's, um, that's definitely going to be something worth seeing. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about seeing that. That'll be pretty cool. I know we talked about it last year and, uh, and I was look, really looking forward to it and then it, it didn't work out obviously, but, yeah. um, yeah, man, I'm excited for uh round two. <laughs> round two. Yeah. I saw a video today of Cameron Haynes shooting and he put his target on the hood of his truck. So he was shooting right towards, right towards the windshield. If you miss it's in the windshield. If you miss low, it's in the engine. And I was like, man, that's a tie stake shooting right there. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, that's what we need to do at convention, just have the big windows as backdrops, and if, and it's high stake shooting. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> hey, we're in Reno. Gamble is a thing. Roll the dice. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yes, sir. Cameron, if you're listening, uh, I have no problem shooting my boat at your truck either. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> So um, I'm not shooting at my truck because I've seen the way I shoot, but uh, I'd shoot it at his, no problem. I'd be more worried. It's my target I'm worried about because I think my boat arrows half the time go straight through the target. So yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't even matter if I made a good shot. I'd have a hole in the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if you if you just dead nail that target and it blows through and cracks the guy's windshield, you just you then you just look at him and say, "Dude, that's you. That's on you." That's it. That's your cheap target. Not my fault. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's, uh, so uh, tell us about your practicing. You ever put the target on the hood of your car? Um, no, I mean, but I've got a pretty good zone to shoot. I've got a lot of land around. So, um, I mean, I can shoot out to, if I, if I had a bow that could go a thousand yards, I could shoot it, you know? So I'm pretty fortunate in that way that I don't necessarily, I'm not really, uh, strap for room or anything which is nice, nice. um yeah yeah you can shoot uphill downhill side hill so i get a lot of good field practice in um which is cool but actually i do most of my it seems like like i can shoot the hills or whatever but i've got like just that one target that i keep where that i can shoot from the back patio and um, i shoot that one probably more than anything just uh was it a reinhardt like a reinhardt 3d type target deer target you know and right. um but I don't know. It's good because it's like, yeah, I just walk outside, shoot a few, walk back in, uh, you know, kind of do that all day long, all year when I'm around. And then I go and shoot like I got a little range set up and I shoot that uh, quite a bit as well just to get, you know, a bunch of different practice. So I try to practice like I'm hunting if I if I can. So anything that's more field scenario or shoot from the knees, shoot from like a crouch position, shoot after holding back for a long time. Um, just a lot of like kind of more like hunting style training um and i'll shoot spots on a target every once in a while especially when i'm getting a new bow set up just make sure it's dialed make sure it's fine-tuned and then after that i just kind of try to make all my practice really applicable to kind of hunting situations so you find it more valuable to be shooting the 3d targets over just the the block style 
Yeah, definitely. For me, yeah, definitely. I like to, I just like to kind of, you know, I, my whole thing is like just practice, like you're trained, like you're going to be doing. So I like to just shoot, um, you know, at 3d targets mostly once my bow's all set up and, and raring to go. And I'll, I'll do that. Like, um, I've got another target, you know, other spot type targets set up as well, but generally just kind of when I, once I've got the bow dialed and it's ready to go, then I start shooting at 3ds most of the year. And then I'll start, once I shoot my broadheads, I don't maybe want to tear up my 3d targets as much. So I'll do a lot of shooting with the broadheads, um, into just like a, a block type target, but, um, I still shoot them at my, most of my 3ds as well. Gotcha. I've got a question for you, Remy, that I'm, I'm kind of excited to dive into. Yeah. Um, we talked Reno being gambling and you're kind of, all your kind of success in, in the outdoor world started with a gamble. Um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you buy an outfit at like 19 years old? Uh, yeah, I was 22, but I started, 22. uh, yeah, I started guiding yeah, shortly after high school. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was something I was like, uh, I, I knew it was something I wanted to do, knew that I was pretty much, I was like, man, I want to run my own outfit. Um, I ran kind of like another guy's outfit for a while and, uh, opportunity came up to, to buy somebody's outfit. That was pretty much the only way I could get forest service permits for my area. And, uh, yeah, went all in and it, uh, it ended up paying off. <laughs> so that's good. You know, I remember hearing you say that one time and I was like, man, when I was 22, I was still in college, like making minimum wage, like slinging, you know, well, actually I was working in a bow shop, making minimum wage, never got to hunt because I was working in a bow shop. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have just, you know, taken a plunge like that and, 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 and done it. And, uh, so it, it was a really cool story to hear, hear you say that, you know, you just kind of, you jumped in, you know, got your feet wet and then just immediately jumped right into it. And I, I really, I really applauded you when I heard you, when I heard you talk about that on another podcast. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was something, you know, I, I guided all. So I, 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 during school, I took off August through, you know, like took the whole fall off and went to school during spring and summer semester and, um, worked for six months and just saved up everything I could. And when, when you're guiding, you don't have any expenses, you know, you're just like, I lived in my truck and then I'd go from like outfit to outfit. They covered all your food, they covered all your gas. And I just saved everything that I made, um, throughout the season. And then, uh, my last year of, it was essentially my last year of college. I bought my own outfit and then, uh, and then started running it. And, um, I, I was pretty fortunate the, uh, first year I started, we, um, I actually did, uh, uh, it just randomly happened where, um, some guys were needing somewhere to film a hunt and I happened to have some availability and took them out and they did a film thing. And, and when that aired, I, I booked up a lot of clients after that, but I even remember just like starting going to trade shows and stuff and, and struggling to, to sell hunts, you know, just, I, one of my things was like, I would never take a client from the guys that I worked for. I was like, I want my own clients. I don't want anybody to say that, Oh, I stole their clients or anything like that. So it's like, you know, just went through the grind, going to the trade shows and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, we just pretty much have had repeat clients ever since. So it's been kind of cool. We've got some guys that have hunted with us for 13, 14 years consecutively now. Nice. Man. And is that, um, you guys do it all bows, rifles, you have muzzleloader seasons or what kind of stuff are you set up for there? 
uh, archery is kind of like our main deal, you know, because uh, running elk, calling elk, um, and then we do we also do run rifle as well. But there's no muzzleloader season currently. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. How many guys do you get through through your camp typically? Um, we don't. I mean, it's pretty small. We do like uh, probably at the most maybe thirty. Okay. And where all do you guide at? Uh, mostly in Montana, Southwest Montana. That's beautiful. But I've guided area. all over. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I've I've worked all over, um, kind of all over the U.S. and or I mean, like I've you know New Mexico, other places, just like hopping around to different uh, hunting camps. It's like to try to when the season closed in one, there might be a season in another state that's open. So when I was getting going, I'd, I'd pretty much guide wherever, and then even took it international over the like. Um, went opposite season going down to New Zealand and South Africa and getting, picking up work down there as well. So kind of all over the place, really. Now there's sounds rough. Bit. Just zooming down to Argentina or, or over to Africa just to pick up some work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's only been two guides or two outfits where I'm like, man, it's my goal to hunt with them in the, by the end of my lifetime. And it's Remy Warren and Fred Eichler. And I'm like, eventually I'm going to get there and I'm going to hunt with them. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun, man. That's the thing. You just got to wait now with our, uh, we got so many repeat guys. You just got to wait for a guy to, to kick up his spot, but they're hard to get, <laughs> which is good. It's good for my position, but it's hard for people who are like, how do I book a trip? And I'm like, well, we don't have any openings. And they're like, when are you going to have an opening? I'm like, I don't know when these guys stop coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, how, that's, that's how you know you got a good outfitter. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you call a guy and they're like, man, any day you want, you're like, oh, never mind then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dylan, start saving now so that by the time he has an opening, you've got the money. Yeah. I, I might have to take my boss along with me, though. I, I'll do the same. I'll start saving. Yeah, perfect. So, yes. So I would, I, I guess I haven't been, spent much time with Fred Eichler. So I, I'd, yeah, I think the other one I would have gone with was maybe Ben Solaris down in oh yeah in uh, Australia. He sounded like a hoot, man. That guy sounds yeah. like he has fun everywhere. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of stories about Ben. I, I've got like it's funny because um like I've like met people in New Zealand working down there and then have just like random friends that know other people. You know what I mean? So it's just like hunting yeah. community is actually pretty small. Um I actually haven't met him, but uh, know a lot of people that know him pretty well. It's pretty funny. Yeah, we had him on the show. Great, great guy to talk to. He's a lot of fun, and, and he had you know same kind of small world stories. He's like he was somewhere in Russia. I forget where he was talking about, and and he saw some guy wearing a backpack quiver, a cat quiver, and he says, "There's only miles away." Guy. He said, yeah. "Miles away." And he says, "There's only one guy I know wears that kind of quiver." He says, "That's got to be Tom Wren," and sure enough, they ran into each other, and it was so. <laughs> Small, that's funny. small world, yeah. but, uh, well, that's good. So the, the outfitting's going well for you. And then, uh, are you pretty, pretty hands-on with that? You have a, a team that, that runs that for you or how's that work with? No, with I just team? run everything myself. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything I do, I pretty much do myself on that, that side. We've got a couple other guides that work for us. Um, you know, but I still guide every week and we, you know, my wife does the cooking and we run the lodge and do all the booking and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's pretty small operation, just pretty like, you know, just our family. And then our two, two guides that uh, we've worked with were for a while and are really, really good hunters. Outstanding. 
Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Remy, I have a, I, I'm here to ask the hard questions. How do you go about getting your own character in a video game, dude? <laughs> That's a, you know, I still am like scratching my head. Like how'd that happen? <laughs> That's um, awesome, dude. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I know, um, one of the guys that actually works on the game, uh, reached out to me he's from new zealand and it's kind of followed some of the stuff that i'd done in new zealand and some other places and was like man this would be cool to get a real hunter in here and they they'd done like a um kind of like a market research type study and they found out like the majority they've got millions of players and out of those players very few of them are actually hunters and so they were like well that's really interesting you know you kind of think like a hunting video game maybe it mostly appealed to hunters and, and then also in that study, they found that uh, the, a, a large percentage of them, like almost 80% of them were like, I don't hunt, but I'd be interested in learning more about it. Um, so they were like, hey, it'd be cool That's to get awesome. a hunter in here that could kind of like maybe bridge that gap a little bit where people could kind of see like, oh, there are real hunters out there. And that might be a good place to kind of start getting information for those thinking about hunting. So we kind of created some YouTube videos that, um, went alongside with some of the things that were coming out in the game just to kind of pique the interest and give it a little how-to. I mean, not obviously a short five-minute video. You can't teach someone everything there is to hunting, but the kind of goal was for people maybe that aren't really in that world and maybe weren't seeking it out but enjoyed the game and liked things around the game to kind of relate to some real-world hunting stuff and maybe find their way out into the field at some some point. Very nice. It's It's always good to reach out to potential outdoor enthusiasts. You know, you know, what's funny is what caught my attention. Um, I, I'm a scroller and I don't really read captions and I see this picture and I'm like, well, that doesn't look like a prime that he's holding there. And so then I go to read it and I'm like, wait, that's not a real picture. That's a video game. And I, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like blown away. I'm like a stinking video game. How do I get to be a character? Me and Jason need to be characters. We'll have to make our own game, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Does, does Shrek already have a game, or is yeah. that email? <laughs> no, we're gonna make a game. Uh, it'll be called like Fork and Horn Hunters or something. Yeah, yeah, Meat Pole. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. It's it, it's always nice to have a freezer full. We'll just go there for sure. Yeah, Remy, what percentage of hunting would you say of yours is compound versus traditional? Um, I don't, it just depends on the year, you know, I mean, I would say I, every year I definitely do, um, some, some form of traditional archery hunt. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that I like, they're always the ones that I film just because sometimes it's like, Oh, if I'm go out on my own and or on the weekend or in between guiding, it's like, Oh, I take my trad bow, um, a lot. I've got a long bow, some recurves, just kind of different bows. Got a self bow here that, um, got some napped arrows I might take out this season, but, um, you know, I'd say it's probably mm, 75%, uh, compound bow because those are the ones that I film and, and stuff like that. Um, and you know, you know, you only got so many hunts throughout the year and then just kind of on what I would almost consider some of my more personal hunts. I, I will take, you know, just a little bit of whatever, just kind of get out and try some other stuff. And then every once in a while, I'll just get a wild hair and be like, all right, it's time to film a, 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 a trad bow hunt. So, I'll do that every once in a while as well. Very cool. I was just curious. And so with, with your trad experience, what range are you looking for with your trad gear? Um, what's, what's a sweet spot? 
I mean, I like to get as close as possible, really. I mean, it just depends. Um, I always try to hit that like 20 yard mark. Um, I've shot deer at 30, but you know, I, I mean, it just depends really. It's like that. It's like, you know, when you know, so, I mean, there's times where I've passed deer at third 25 because I was just like, it just didn't feel right. And then there's times where I've shot deer at 35 because it was like, it was the right scenario and everything was perfect. And I knew I'd make that shot and you know, everything was right. But I don't know. I mean, just even with anything, I like to get as close as possible. I'd say right. probably most of my shots are 20 or actually I bet if I averaged the yardage, it'd probably, it'd probably be right around 20, maybe even less. Um, you know, I don't know. I like to get, it's fun to get close. Yeah. I kind of like, that's kind of the reason that I take it. Cause I'm like, yeah, when I've got a compound bow, you're like, yeah, this, okay, I'm close. You know, you kind of get that, like I'm close enough. And then when I've got like a, a long bow or a, you know, you're kind of thinking like, my philosophy just changes. And instead of like trying to take that further shot, it's just like trying to get so close that there's no way you can't make a, a good clean shot. So yeah. I think it's kind of like, that's part of the allure of it. And and that's just the way I like to hunt with it. So, I mean, maybe even, well, I've taken a lot, most of the, a lot of shots at like 15 yards or somewhere in there. Well, and that's, nice. what, that's what my first initial draw to traditional archery was, is uh, it was Aaron Schneider. He said, you know, used to with a compound you get it 80 yards 90 yards you're letting it fly and you're killing the animal well you do that with a trad bow and you get inside 80 yards the hunt is just beginning you know now you oh, have yeah. the distance in, in in a quarter of that and i'm like man like that that was the appeal to me it was like once you get inside 100 yards you're just now starting your hunt with a comp or with a, a traditional bow and so i was like man that just sounds like a blast yeah, that's, that's, it's so much fun just to try to try to get close. And uh, it's like, you really have to trick the animal. You really have to be stealthy. You really have to kind of be on your game. And it just makes you that much better. Uh, one thing that I've been doing over the last, you know, quite a few years is just even with the compound bows, just trying to get as close as possible uh, and not saying like, okay, I'm close enough. Cause you're like, I, I think that's a problem that a lot of people have where they get, they've got kind of like this maximum range where like I can shoot this far and I can definitely kill what I'm shooting at at this far. But, you know, there are always things that can go wrong when you're shooting at distance, even with a compound bow. So my philosophy is like, I don't say like, that's uh, oh, good enough. Like I just try to get so I like to keep the mentality like I'm so close, like almost nothing can go like the only thing that can go wrong is me spooking it. But when I release that arrow, I know that whatever I shoot at is gonna gonna die and it's gonna be a good clean shot. So I, I, there's times where I've been 30 yards with my compound bow and opted to sneak into 20 because it's like, okay, the scenario is set up, right? There's no reason that I can't get 10 yards closer. And then I know, okay, cool. If something goes wrong, like I'm within the zone that I, I can make it happen, which is kind of like reverse thinking. Cause I think a lot of people get to 50 and they're like, yeah, that's my maximum range I can shoot. And they shoot and the, the deer jumps the string, something happens. Um, you know, it, it, reacts to the air the sound and then you know you've got a, a wounded deer or a deer that's not hit exactly where you want so my philosophy is just like try to get as close to everything that i hunt as i can i run pins 30 to 70 on my outfit and 30 is my sweet spot i mean i can hit farther out but like you say the the um the opportunity for something to go wrong at, at 70 yards is exponentially bigger than at 30 and and the other thing I found, whether it's shotguns, rifles, pistols, bows, everything, confidence has a lot to do with 
with how you ultimately come through. And for me at 30 yards, I'm pretty darn confident with my bow. If, if, if I'm there, it's, it's going to get the job done. And I just don't have that same confidence at, at some of the longer ranges. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I, it's like part of archery hunting is just getting close, you know, and you think, well, I remember when I first started close, so it was like range was like 20 to 30 yards. You had to get that close. Even with my compound bow, I was like, that's how far I got to get 35, maybe. And then, you know, as bows got better, you could get further and further away. But kind of for me in many ways, just kind of took out some of the like things that I loved most about archery hunting, which was trying to get like that, get really, really close. And that's very, very difficult. And it's what makes bow hunting such a challenge and what makes it so addicting too. So um, there are times where it's like, okay, the scenario, I got to take a further shot scenario set up for it and it works out great. But there's also those times where it's like, Hey, the scenario is set up. You don't, there's no reason you can't get closer. If there's no reason I can't get closer then I always get closer. Yeah. Now see, that's the, that's the next level of confidence right there where it's like, Hey, I've got this in the bag at 30 but I'm so good. I'm going to get to 20 just because I can. Yeah. It worked out though, because it was on a sleeping caribou and I'm like, well, he's asleep. And he actually, when he got up, he started to run, but he was so close that I could shoot him when he was moving. Um, so it worked out pretty good for that. Cause I was like, man, if that happened at 30, I, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to take a shot. Yeah. I, I guess I'm not stealthy enough to see that many sleeping animals apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe back maybe back in the day i was that stealthy and then again maybe not so what animal has been the closest that you've taken oh uh that's a good question um i mean i've shot some mule deer at like four or five yards five or six yards something like that i mean close enough where you didn't even think about it (laughs) right Um, yeah and is that spot and stock or ambush or how What's yeah, your stock? Okay, um, I snuck up on a couple bedded mule deer, like pretty dang close. And just got good wind and pretty much took all day, but um, I got pretty close that way. Um, there's been, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've had mm-hmm. some like uh, access deer and some other, like just some other things, you know, where you're you're maybe stalking in on something and something's coming up the trail, sit down, and I happen to just be walking up that same trail, you know, pop off three or four yards and here you got like a point blank shot, um, which is pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. I had a, I had a situation where I made a really, it was, it was right before bow season. I think I was in high school. And so my brother and I, and one of his buddies went up in the Hills, just kind of look around. I was trying to decide if I was going to bow hunt or, or do something different that year. And so we went up, spotted this really nice, mature four by four blacktail laying on the edge of a clear cut. And, you know, knowing then what I know now, I'd have just, you know, come back and got him on opening day or that opening week. But instead I was like, you know what, I'm just going to see how close I can get to that thing. And so I, I went all the way around. I had my, my little brother was spotting me from the other side of this clear cut, probably 400 yards away. And, and so he's giving me, hey, this was 30 years ago before radios or anything. And so he's giving me hand signals. I'm cutting this trail. And then I, I find the trail that he's on outside of the timber. And so I'm literally crawling on all fours and I can see the tips of his horns. And it's like, wow, this is, I didn't even have a bow with me. And it's like, wow, this is really exciting. And then he gets up and I 
I got to a point where I was crawling and there was a log that I just wasn't going to be able to get up over or around. And so I'm just kind of sitting there on my hands and knees, just kind of peeking over the top of this log. And all of a sudden this guy stands up, looks around a little bit and just literally walks over and practically sticks his nose in, into my eye. I mean, it was, I literally was within a foot of this thing and and I didn't know what to do. I was kind of afraid he was going to step on me. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the trail. And all of a sudden, he realizes something is seriously wrong and just takes off like a shot. But uh, it was a neat experience to be that close to something. I didn't even realize till later that I blew my opportunity to actually take that animal when I ran him off. But it was still pretty <laughs> That's fun. awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So look, looking back, that one would have gotten me in the books for sure. But yeah that's awesome hindsight so how about you dylan man i'll tell you um ground hunting and spotting and stalking is something that has appealed to me for a long time um you know and i remember and and what i'm going to say might get some hate mail from from midwest hunters but that's okay i remember my first out west hunt spot and stalk hunt um, I remember coming home and thinking, cause I live here in Kansas, Remy, uh, you know, are you hunting ground blinds or tree stands? Yeah. And I remember coming home thinking to myself, what I've always done my whole life is not really hunting. Um, and what I mean by that is when you're hunting from a tree stand or a ground blind, really, you just have to be good at scouting and then picking a spot and hoping they come by. Um, and, and that spot and stock hunt changed the way that I look at hunting forever. Um, in a sense of, of, I want to enjoy the hunt and I want to enjoy seeing an animal and stalking it and getting close to it. And so, um, I actually had a conversation last week with, uh, Zach Farrenbaugh from the hunting public, um, who's kind of taken over the world of spotting stalking whitetails in the Midwest. And, uh, and so this year I'm, I'm really going to put forth the effort into spotting stalking whitetails here and, you know, there, there, I promise you there will be a lot of deer uh, blown out of the woods or the wheat field or whatever that I'm trying to stalk. But, um, again, I just want to hone those skills of being a better all-around hunter rather than just scouting and then, you know, hanging a tree stand and hoping they come by that day. Um, you know, another thing that appeals to me is I hear guys all the time, and I'm like, hey, you going hunting in the morning, dude. Perfect day, uh, snowfall, first cold snap. And they're like, nope, I have a bad wind for my tree stand. And I'm like that's a, that's a a pretty bad way to hunt. Like that's just, that's a bad way to live. You know, (laughs) if you can't go hunting just because the wind out of that one tree is bad. And so that's another reason I kind of want to get on the ground and just be able to move around and, and get myself in a position depending on the day, uh, to harvest that animal. And so, um, you know, I can't say I have a ton of experience with spot and stalking, um, other than the couple hunts I've done out West, but this year is is really going to be a time where, um, I start putting those things into practice. That's awesome. That'll be a lot of fun. And you might find you're like, okay, it actually can be pretty successful. You know, there's, I mean, with the right scenario and the right thing and the right opportunity, um, it, it might, there's probably a lot of times where that tactic, you're like, Oh, okay. That happened. Like you can make it happen. You don't have to let it, I like it. You know, you don't have to wait and let it happen. You can kind of make your opportunities and, and that's always fun, a fun well, feeling and a fun it- yeah, that's another reason, man. It's like, you know, if you're sitting in a tree and a buck beds down, you know, 90 yards away, you're kind of just like, well, crap, you know, he didn't come in. 
but if you're on the ground, you can make those aggressive moves to get inside his wheelhouse and 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 get an arrow in him. Um, and so that's it. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. Um, you get to make your own luck, or you get to blow your own deer out rather than just well, they happen to not come in today, or you know, they bedded down you know, behind a tree. And, and last year was the perfect example. I had my, my target buck that I've been hunting for two years. He was at 40 yards and, uh, but, but he just wouldn't take one more step from a tree. And I know that would have happened. That can happen on the ground too. But if I wasn't in a tree and I was on the ground, I could have positioned myself a little better, um, knowing where he was coming in at to get the shot. And so that's another one of the main reasons is, you know, you don't have to rely so much on, man, I hope the deer come in today or they come down the right trail or they, you know, come out of the right bedding area or they go to the right feeding area. Um, you get to make your own luck. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, earlier when he was talking about, you know, you're talking about making your own luck. And earlier Remy mentioned, you know, he, he practices how he hunts. So he's shooting three D's and, and different terrains and stuff. And, and sometimes I make my own luck. So I'd have to practice where I hike for six days in a row and then hope to get my, hope to get one shot off. That's the, that's how, how some of the hunting is sometimes for me. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I do. I just carry my bow around all day, everywhere I go, grocery store, wherever. And then when I come home, I just take one shot. One shot shot isn't perfect. Yeah. Then I got to wait until next week. (laughs) Yeah. That's I, I, uh, it's funny because some people, and you see this with a lot of different uh, sports, you know, shotguns and rifles and, and even golf. You have some guy at the driving range, and he he hits a perfect shot off the tee, but he doesn't take into consideration he hit a bucket of balls to get that one perfect shot. Same thing with the bow. You know, you go out to the range, and, and you send a few arrows down range, and you, you always pull the flyers first so that the group looks better when the last three are sitting there. But. Yeah, exactly. No, there's, I actually do do something similar, um, especially when I get kind of closer to the season. You think like, oh, shoot more, shoot more. And there's many times where I just go, okay, I get one arrow today. And I go out and I give myself a scenario. And it's a, you know probably a very realistic scenario. Um, maybe it's like a downhill, good breeze, good wind, uh, crosswind, and maybe 50 yards. And it's like I get that one arrow and I got to make a good shot. And I don't take another shot. If I mess it up, well, I got to think about that shot all the rest there of the day until tomorrow. You know, yeah. um, you know, I don't get a, I don't get to take a group. I just take that one shot. And I want to make sure that that one shot is the best shot I make that day. You know, and that's that's the only one I get because that is pretty realistic the way that you, hunting happens. You know, and you don't get a, you don't get to choose like, okay, oh, it's windy today. I'm not going to go. Oh, it's a hard time. It's like when it's windy, when it's like that. That's actually. I grab my, I tend to grab my bow more often in the winds than when it's super calm. Now, if I'm sighting it in, that's a different story. But, um, lucky for me, I live in Northern Nevada where it's you know, no lack of wind, you know, but it's, yeah, no kidding. how many times are you coming over a ridge and the winds hauling and the winds, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you need to be able to shoot in those conditions or it's raining or it's whatever. Those are the kind of conditions. It's like, um, I think a lot of people maybe just think, oh, it's not a good time to shoot my bow. Like it's windy, it's this, it's that. And it's like, that's actually the time you should because I've never had like that calm day, flat terrain shooting at an animal that like is just standing. It's just like that this doesn't happen very often for me. Yeah. What's uh, what's the strangest thing that's ever messed up a shot for you? Huh, that's a good question. I mean, oh, I've, I mean, I don't know if it's strange, but 
Um, I, I vividly remember it. I was sneaking in on a, on a doll sheet. <laughs> I was like 20, I was probably like 22 yards from it. And I'm like, sweet. And we're, uh, we're behind this big rock and I draw back and it, it was a, I had switched bows. Like this particular bow was just like, you know, when you, I don't know if you've ever had this. I think it happens like with fishing rods too, where you just like get a new bow. And like my old bow had no problems. Like everything I shot at, I always got. It was great. And like this new bow just seemed to be cursed. <laughs> like I just couldn't kill anything <laughs> with it. Uh, and I'm like, okay, this was the first time I'd taken this bow on, which uh, seems stupid now. And I, I was like drew back behind the rock completely in cover they're bedded but i think that they kind of like um they'd stood up I'm like sweet so i slowly stand up i just put my pin on the sheep's vitals 20 yards i'm like oh i'm already like taking a picture with this sheep release the arrow and it was just like confusion i just like hear this noise and then just broadheads just raining down and i didn't even what had happened was I raised up, my pin was on the sheet, but my arrow didn't clear the rock like a foot or two feet in front of me. Oh. And um, the arrow just center punched this rock like right in front of me. And it just broadhead blades just into the sky and sheep ran away unscathed. It was horrible. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, my story is not quite that exciting, but I was drew back on a turkey last year and as I'm literally settling in to, to let it go, I got tagged by a mosquito on my eyeball and it kind of caused me to jerk and I, I missed the whole Turkey. So. Yeah, that's, that, that's also like, I, I could use that as a good excuse too later on. Cause the people are like, I don't, I don't believe you. You're like, no, I swear to you. I just full draw mosquito bit me right in the eye. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So uh, yeah. the first time I, the first time I decided to hunt with my uh, recurve, I was down in South Texas, and uh, we knew we knew where some javelinas were coming in every night, and uh, so we set up a pop up blind, and I was borrowing one of my buddy's brand new blind, fresh out of the box, never hunted with, and uh, set it up. Javelinas come in, I get drawn back, I shoot, and you hear a god awful noise, and I'm like, "What is that, dude?" And I look up, and my top limb had hit the top of the blind and just ripped a zipper through the top of the blind, and. Uh, <laughs> So needless to say, the javelinas did not get shot. Um, they bolted out of there quicker than they ever have. And uh, I had to buy my buddy a new blind. Um, but lessons learned, I guess. I'm like, now I need to just buy extra tall blinds if I'm going to hunt out of one with a recurve. Yeah, that's funny. I, I'm surprised it ripped a hole in it. That's pretty uh, That's pretty good. Yeah, tore a, tore a hole. I mean, it was probably... It, it really wasn't a hole. It was just a, a perfect rip where the limb just went through it. But it was probably two feet long of a rip, just all the way the limb just, you know, punctured and then just ripped forward as it as the limb went forward. And I'm like, and I had practiced, you know, I had I had I had drawn my bow back and like looked up to make sure I had clearance. But then when the javelinas come in, it wasn't like make sure you know I tilt my bow enough and and lean back in the seat enough to where I'm gonna clear the roof. It was like, oh crap, let's shoot the javelinas. And, uh, sure enough, ripped a, a hole right in the top of that blind. Ah, dang. <laughs> I had a, uh, story years ago before the invent of the, well, before the commercial ground blind, I was hunting with some buddies in Eastern Oregon and we built a, a blind out of burlap for antelope kind of on a water hole. And so I'm sitting in there basically reading Louis L'Amour books for hours on end. And finally an antelope comes in and I'm, 
you know, I'm all excited. I've never been antelope hunting before. I'm, you know, this thing, I'm finally going to get a crack at this. And when I went to draw back some of the burlap from the, from the roof that we'd made just to keep us out of the sun, got caught in my top cam. And when I let that thing go, man, it practically jerked it out of my hand. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not get that antelope. But yeah, I've, I, I mean, I've had the, the classic, like same, same deal where you're, you're drawn back in the blind and deer comes in. And then I was shooting at a, a white tailed doe and, you know, the shoot through kind of mesh. Well, I did somehow it moved up more than I was thinking and shot right through the ground blind. But luckily on that one, it was close enough. I still ended up getting it. But, uh, what was, uh, I was like looking at it like, oh, I wonder, I don't see the hole in the thing and noticed that it was right in the, uh, the portion of the ground behind a little bit lower. Which, yeah. I was like, well, well, now I know. See, and I think you're okay to go through straight through the material, you know, like on something close like that. But I had a buddy that, um, he hit, was shooting through the mesh, got just a little bit low and it hit right where the mesh is doubled over and then there's the Velcro and then the material where the, all that came together and it, it moved to zero about three feet back. Yeah. I can wall. see that happening. I've actually, I've had friends that have done that shot the wrong part, same thing, like through a folded part of the blind and yeah. a flying, flying haywire. Yeah. Yeah. All those, all those kinds of things can go wrong. It just doesn't take much. Yeah, that's what that's what makes it so fun though when it does go right. You're like, sweet, this is awesome. This is great. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, give us a little primer. I know you're doing a a workshop for us at convention, and so what what can people expect to come learn from you in Reno? Yeah, I mean, on that, I, I'm just going to be opening it up to more of a Q and A because. Uh, you know, I, I found like I've had plans and then I start talking about stuff and everyone's there just ask questions at the end. So I figure why not just open it up and we'll just have a conversation and throw out your questions and pretty much no topic is too hard or, or, um, off limits. A lot of people have questions that are kind of specific to places that they hunt where they've been trying something and they're like, man, I just cannot figure this out. Um, and then there's other things that are more general, just, uh, you know, I think a lot of, it's a great way for people to learn from other people's experiences too. And I've had so many people, you know, after doing that being like, man, okay, I, I've hunted this area for 10 years. I've been, you know, successful every once in a while. And then you gave me this one tip and it's like, man, we are, we are just like now consistently successful after just one thing that we didn't really think about. So, um, I mean, that, that doesn't happen. I can't guarantee that that happens with every answer, but it does happen, you know, where you're just like, Hey, you just need that right nudge of kind of knowledge that, um, uh, and that's a good way to get it. So I think that we'll just kind of open it up to a Q and a and, and kind of bring your questions, bring your tips, whatever you kind of want to know about. And, um, and we'll just kind of make it like a, a flowing conversation and the topics based on that. Sometimes someone will answer it, ask a question and that'll just be kind of the topic of, of discussion. So it's a, uh, make, choose your own adventure. Nice. I remember those books. I like those. Yeah. <laughs> now here, here's something, you know, it's in the West. We've got it to where you're a lot of places. You're not going to get to hunt every year. You're kind of, if you want to hunt every year, you've got to bounce around from different States or different units. You know, when you're looking at, let's say going into a new state or a new area on an elk hunt, what is kind of the, the first thing that you look at when you're doing that? 
Yeah, I mean, like once I've found an area, or you're saying like just like to kind of pick an area to go to. Yeah, if you say, "Hey, I'm going to go hunt this this unit in Idaho," and you yep. you pick one, and what what kind of things are you looking for from that point forward? I mean, the first thing I kind of do is I just I, I e scout. I mean, I pull out the maps, and I I like to I like to flip first. It might seem strange, but this is the way. Like even with all the satellite imagery and all this stuff, the first thing I do is turn on the topo maps. Um, without satellite imagery, just a pure basic topo, because that's one of the ways that I started hunting was just like reading maps that way. But um, what I start to look for is terrain features that I find uh, are kind of preferred elk habitat. I look for things that I call like head basins, um, certain orientations of the hill, those south facing slopes that go, okay, like the grade on this slope, everything around here is steep, but here's like a nice south slope that's more gradual. Um, and I just kind of I kind of highlight those areas first, like terrain features, benches, finger ridges, things where I'm like, okay, these are areas that elk like as far as just straight topography. Then I switch it to more of an aerial view and I go, okay, now what lines up with this good topography? Is there openings where they're going to get good feed? Um, is there, you know, possibly some water and some, some more like steep water going out where it benches out for a second and then drops back down where I might find some wallows? Uh, does this look like a good travel route on this bench from feeding to a bedding area? And then I start building that out based on the preferred habitat. So I first go with like terrain that I've, you know, encountered elk into a lot and right. like certain terrain features. And when I'm out hunting and I encounter elk, like in it, say I'm in an area in Nevada or Montana, you know, I look at that topo and go like, okay, there's elk here. Why are they here? What's, what does this look like? What does it look like? from a topography standpoint, what does it look like from an aerial standpoint, a vegetation standpoint, a habitat standpoint. So I kind of go in those stages and I start marking areas that I think will be successful. And then, and then I kind of ground check everything. Once I get to that area, then it's like, all right, I spend the first couple of days proving what I saw, like on the maps. Is this a, is this what I like? Is this the type of country that I prefer to hunt? And then, and then when I find that, when I'm in the unit, then I start focusing in and then kind of give it a go and hunt it hard. Nice. I've got a question for you. So Garmin yeah. is one of our new corporate partners. And uh, so how do you incorporate Garmin into that plan? What, what products do you use? And then how do you incorporate them into that, into that hunt plan? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, like I, the, really the only one of the Garmin products that I have, uh, I've got a, a watch that has my GPS stuff on it. So I can actually just like put pins on that and use it kind of as a, I use it mostly as a tool, like for when I'm checking areas, you know, like, okay, sweet. I can mark this. I can mark that. Um, you know, and I also like it to kind of just gauge like the certain elevations and things like that. When I've got like, whether it's a GPS or I actually like it on the watch, it's pretty sweet. But one thing like, well, like last year, um, just went into a new area, California over the counter archery. And it's like, all right, I wasn't seeing deer. And it's like, all of a sudden I started seeing deer. So the first thing I did is just like hit the pin on my watch. I'm like, all right, now what elevate? And then just go straight to the elevation and say, all right, at this elevation, it's like, okay, what elevation am I at? And then I started looking at other places in that same elevation. And sure enough, was seeing deer. So it's more of an elevation game thing while in the field going, okay, they're liking this particular elevation. Even when I went to other places in the unit or other kind of areas nearby, I could just kind of focus in on that specific elevation 
and just having it right there knowing like, okay, this is my elevation. Then I can kind of build out like, like gather real data while I'm out there um, to kind of build out like what these animals are doing and where I might find them other places and kind of keying in on all the factors of like, okay, here's some topography, here's some habitat. Now it's like, it comes down to elevation while I'm out there. And then that's how I, you know, hone in on and kind of like find more success. And then probably as the season goes on, that elevation is going to change, but it's like, Hey, at least it gives me a baseline of somewhere to start looking in a new area. Nice. And so we're talking about Garmin and equipment. One of the questions that we ask every one of our guests here at Pope and Young is when you're heading up on the mountain, what is one piece of gear that might be considered non-traditional that you find yourself taking along? Hmm. Uh, contractor garbage bag. Okay. I don't think I've ever gone on the hunt without one. And it's like, you know, so many uses I've used them for everything, but um, primarily the reason I have them in my bag is to, uh, when I'm packing something out, you know, I'll, I'll put the meat in game bags, hang it, whatever. And then I use it as a pack liner. So my pack doesn't get like soaked with blood. Um, pretty important in bear country, especially because, you know, I think a lot of people just be like, Oh, in the game bag, straight into the backpack and, um, you know, soaks it. And then after, especially it starts to rain or you're sweating, it starts to stink really bad. You just become like, your pack itself just becomes a, a walking grizzly bait, but, um, and it kind of starts to grow some bacteria as well. But, uh, like on the second hunt, you know, when you don't, when you like, you, I feel like you never clean it that well. So I use it as a pack yeah. liner for the most part, but, um, I mean, I've used it for everything. I've actually like a sleeping bat pad went out. I've stuffed it with pine boughs to just kind of get some insulation from the ground. Cause it's cold and uses a sleeping pad. I've, I've, like run them over my boots and under my gaiters to cross like streams in the springtime on spring bear hunts, like used them as waders. Um, I've used it to like makeshift shelter. I've used it like up in the high country when there's a snow bank, but you need no like water or whatever. So I'll just put that, that black bag out in the snow with pilot snow on and then run a bottle underneath it and just funnels the water right into my bottle. Pretty sweet way. Or you can fill it up like fill of the trash bag up and cut the corner off easy way to just like that snow will melt and just run straight into your bottle or whatever you got. Um, yeah, just like a lot of, a lot of different uses, um, little makeshift tarp or glassing shade. Um, yeah, there's just a, a lot of different uses for it. Very nice. That's a good one. Yeah. What, what do you think, Dylan? I like it because it's so simple. It's something that anybody can can throw in there now. You know, it's, absolutely. It's not something that, you know, some answers we get are sentimental, and I'm like, well, that's good, but that's not something that I can incorporate. Um, and so it's such a simple answer that, uh, you know, it automatically is like, well, maybe I need to do that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think the best ones that I've found are probably like you got to get the the thick like contractor grade. I get, I think they're like Husky or whatever. Just get them at Home Depot. Um, almost like 55 gallon drum liners, like the big, really thick. I mean, they'll hold water, whatever. And don't, I mean, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, I mean, if it's not like by putting in plastic, the meat's going to go bad or anything because it's in your pack, it's shaded. And when I stop, I'll like, you know, if it's hot out, I'll definitely, I'll like, I'll, I'll even use that in August in the summer. But it's like only while I'm traveling. And then you've got your, you still use your game bags, your meat in your game bags, you hang it, you cool it, 
you make sure your meat gets cooled and properly cared for. But when it's in your bag, um, it's going to be hot and not breathe in the backpack anyway. So it's, it's a really good way to just line it. And then you can kind of use it as a tarp, even just for like skinning an animal. You need something to set a quarter down for a second or whatever. Man, that thing's got, there's probably 10 million uses for it. I've used it for so much stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. I've, I've got one. I think it's one of the great big thick. Uh, I think mine's orange, but it was more of a, if you find yourself overnight somewhere, it'd be handy to have not as much utilitarian as, Hey, you can use this for a thousand different things. Here's what I like too. I like things that <clears throat> are cheap and easy and not necessarily. <laughs> okay. Jason. And not necessarily first and not necessarily made for hunting, but can be used for hunting. Um, you know, like, uh, People used to always, uh, at least here in the Midwest, you don't worry about it out West much, I'm sure. But, um, you know, you buy like the dead downwind deodorant, it's like six bucks. And I'm like, well, hold on. If I go to the beauty section, like the regular deodorant, I can get like unscented, you know, deodorant for 98 cents. And I'm like, it's the same exact stuff. Um, so stuff that like stuff that is so cheap that anybody can incorporate and it's not even a hunting product, but it's so useful in the field. Yeah, and then when it's like cleanup time around the house in the fall, you've already got all your gar- your trash bags ready. So you're like, sweet, multi-purpose. You just Man. don't want to grab a used one that's had blood in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, then you know, it doesn't take 20 minutes to wash off your blue tarp. Yeah, exactly. So, you just, just put it right in the can. I like it. Well, I'll tell you what, we will add that one to the list. And uh, Remy, we've we've had a lot of fun talking to you today. Cannot wait to get down to Reno and see you for our convention. Um, that's going to be hopefully a highlight for a lot of folks here this year. And uh, really want to thank you for coming on today. We got one question, Jason. Okay. What, Remy, what's the yeah. one place you got to eat at in, in Reno? Oh, um, if I say it, then it'll be crowded. <laughs> it's always crowded. Anyways. Uh, do you guys like sushi? Jason's answer is going to be only if it's fresh. <laughs> I'd say sashimi sushi is pretty good. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, and then uh, Louis Bass Corner. You got to go there. That's a, that's a great one. Yeah. Growing up with an ocean just over the hill, I have a seafood policy. If I didn't see it die this morning, I'm probably not going to eat it. But uh, you can't yeah, get a little, little spoil. For raw fish, that's the most dangerous kind because you got to freeze it to kill most of the pathogens. See, all these people living on the ocean, they're just eating bad fish. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's, you know, I'll just, good point. I'll bring that up the next time I'm out there, and that's why I'll stick to beef. Or elk. Uh, just kidding. Yeah, uh, got to go to Louis. Got to go to Louis Bass Corner. You got to get um, oh the sweetbreads uh, in the wine sauce. That's pretty much um, the garlic wine sweetbreads. That's that's pretty good. Um, or or pretty good lamb. And if you just don't like either of those, steak's pretty awesome. And then uh, order yourself a pecan, but don't have more than two. You're <laughs> outstanding love getting the local input so or maybe we should do a uh, a shout out to them on the uh online for folks dylan 
Yeah, let's do it. So, well, Remy, hey, thanks a bunch. Can't wait to see you in Reno, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I'll be there at uh, quite a few of the events and some of the dinners and then the um, uh, the little uh, Q&A kind of thing we got going on. So looking forward to it. It'll be re- really awesome. Excellent. We'll see you there.